0: Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. We've got another guest on today, and a pretty special one, uh, as you can see. We're not at the office at Mulgrave. We're down here in Collingwood uh, at Adaptive HP with Ken here. Um, great to have you on. Really good episode coming up uh, in terms of talking about bike fitting, bike position, uh, what's going on with a few other projects as well, including if you guys have heard um, about RideSync. Yes. RideSync. It it. Yes. Yeah, so doing things with componentry on the bike and really sort of nailing down. Uh, position, comfort, aero, all these factors come in to, to improve athlete performance overall. So, really excited about this episode, but first of all, do you want to just give us a quick rundown into one yourself, but then also what you do here as part of Adaptive, um, for those guys who don't know, but then how that sort of ties in with your new project with RideSync as well? Yeah, so Adaptive Human Performance started, well, about three years
1: ago now, we've been in this space in Collingwood, and really, I guess, what Adaptive Human Performance is, it's all about position optimization. so making... Whether it's a road cyclist or a triathlete or any other cycling discipline, it's about making someone more comfortable on their bike. So um, improving comfort, improving performance, or maybe resolving some injury matter that that they may have. Um, And in terms of what that's developed into now, we struggle with time trial position optimisation with accessing parts that really facilitate that end goal. So we saw a bit of a gap in the market about 12 months ago where we just really needed to make our own parts to, to get to that point. So that's where sync ergonomics has come from. Um, and yeah, it's really, I guess, an integral component of what I do with my work, but now also a pretty integral component of what other service providers yeah. do with their work around the world. So yeah, it's pretty cool that it's evolved to, to something that. Look, we saw the, the gap in the market and obviously a lot of other people have seen that as well and have yeah. jumped on board with the synco products, so that's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: cool. So it's, got, it's that nice balance of, I guess, your background in, we are sort of lucky enough to have a chat before, over, so coffee and breakfast, but your background in sort of the clinical side of things of, of health sciences, but then mixing it with a bit of sports science and biomechanics and tying it together to, to get the both, best of both worlds. And yeah, team. exactly. So I guess really, whatever product it is you're looking at, there's, when it comes
1: back to product ergonomics, that's understanding the, the clinical side of things or the, the health science side of things, but it's also understanding the performance elements as well. So, yeah, really Sync Ergonomics takes all of my experience over the, you know, the last four-plus years, um, as well as, yeah, that background in sports science, health science, and, yeah, just trying to make people go faster while being
0: comfortable. Yeah. All right, so you just want to talk to me about uh, the, the importance of bike position for perf- performance and health, I guess, that sort of manipulating... Uh, an ability to produce a better outcome on the bike, but then being comfortable and, and not putting yourself at risk of injury. Um, maybe use the example of, we are talking about before with the hip pathology yep. in terms of how that, how that sort of impacts an athlete and, and maybe what, what we're missing there. Yeah,
1: so look, I really think there's, there's three components to, to that ultimate end goal. Number one, it's athlete physical condition. So that relates back to not only strength and function, but you know, understanding underlying pathology as well, because often that can have a really significant impact on on your cycling experience. Second to that you've got basically the way the equipment is configured. So that's I guess what most people would think of as bike fitting. You know, it's just setting your saddle height, it's selecting your crank length, it's setting your cleats up, it's yeah. selecting your stem length handlebar setup and all that sort of stuff. But then the third element of that is the equipment that goes along with it. So often it's it's your equipment that limits your outcome. So ensuring that you know you've got the right seat on the bike, you've got your right crank length. Yeah, you can't deny that, that that has a huge impact on on the end goal, for sure. So it's yeah, it's really blending those those three together, making sure that athlete health and physical condition is there, making sure that everything is set up properly, and making sure you've got the right equipment on the bike in the first place. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah. And then in terms of in terms of that example of uh, the athlete with the the hip issues, do you want to explain how that can be pretty simply rectified. You sort of talked yeah. about before that you're delicate for like not even a couple of minutes and you'd already yeah. sort of understood exactly what needed to be changed and it was a pretty easy fix. Pretty simple fix, yeah. So I guess really when you when you
1: hear someone describe their pain and dysfunction, or in this particular case, that was that was the underlying thing was pain and dysfunction. And I guess not everyone comes in for a bike fit specifically in pain, mm-hmm. but often it's a key motivating factor and for this particular individual it was. Um, like I guess, Firstly, there's, there's a few things that run through your mind. Is it this, is it that? Could it be something you know, like this condition? And then when you start assessing that person, usually that would start with a physical assessment. And in this case, that's looking at hip joint range of motion in, in a key, couple of key areas where we, we look at hip joint pathology. So yeah, really number one, when you hear them describe their symptoms, that makes you question a whole heap of things. Number two, when you then do a physical assessment on that person, that either confirms or denies or, you know, leads you to ask other questions. And in this case, yeah, it was a pretty simple case of hip joint, you know, pathology that that you need a scan to really identify what it is that's that's blocking that movement. But, you know, in five minutes, you can tell pretty much straight away that it's not going to be stretching a muscle. It's not going to be something that you can change in terms of saddle height, saddle offset to fix that. The only way you could fix it would be either surgery or, you know, change of crank length to to help address some of the symptoms yeah. of hip joint pathology.
0: Yeah, and so and that I guess probably hips are one of the bigger injury or pain points that you see. Uh, would backs, it be hips, low backs. Yeah, low yeah. back for sure. Um, yeah, seven times out of ten it's yeah. low back. Yeah. yeah, And the rest of those, it's either hip or knee. Yeah. Does that make it reasonably easy to, when I say fix, then for for most people, is it is a similar? similar adjustment that you then make, or do you see similar things with, the, the guys who all come in with sort of lower back pain symptoms, do you see similar things in what they've already been doing on the bike that might be causing that that lower back pain? Yeah, for sure. So usually with low back pain, the thing you get
1: concerned about is the flexion of the spine. Yep. So I guess the term is flexion pattern, low back pain, would usually be the, the issue with cycling. Um, and there's probably, you know, you can think of an example yourself where you see someone on a bike and they're super hunched. That's you know that's what we're talking about when we're talking about spinal flexion. So it's usually that that you get concerned about, and usually the fix for that is saddle choice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, back pain, probably the most common injury, or definitely the most common injury for for a cyclist. And nine times out of ten, you'd say that would be fixed by saddle choice and, and setup. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool.
0: So not necessarily something changing too much it's literally just saddle off different saddle on. Yep. that's going to rectify yep. yeah right interesting something something for everyone to think about in terms of that saddle choice. of being critical it doesn't seem from from sort of mine i probably wouldn't have even thought that that could make such a big change in terms of that flexion
1: but yeah so i guess what you're talking about when you're talking saddle choices i'm not i'm not suggesting that you could change from one saddle That lacked ergonomic characteristics to another saddle that lacked ergonomic characteristics and get good good results. I'm talking a very specific change of moving from a saddle that, say, for example, doesn't have a pressure relief channel to a saddle that does have a pressure relief channel, which basically facilitates anterior pelvic Mm tilt, which reduces lumbar flexion. Like that's hands down. If if I could change one thing in the bike industry, it would be be getting rid of any saddle that doesn't have an effective pressure relief channel. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could give any advice to you know anyone listening, it would be if you're going to ride a bike, yeah. make sure it has a saddle with a cutout, and make yeah. sure your, your posture on the bike is is good. Yeah, yeah, it's, cool. Saddle choice is basically workplace ergonomics yeah. applied to the bike. Yeah, like you wouldn't tell someone that it's good to sit in, in front like of the a bit, desk yeah. Yeah. for 12 hours on end. Yeah, you, know, you always try and encourage someone to sit with a neutral spine. And yeah. Ultimately, saddle choice on the bike is no different to that. It's just trying to achieve better posture on the bike. Yeah, cool.
0: No, an interesting, interesting point to think about because yeah, a lot of people probably think I, I need to change what well, my bars are doing, my seat height things. Like that, but something as simple as saddle choice can really make a bit, a big difference, which is interesting. And that, that probably does lead into the other side of things that that you do. and We were talking about aero testing and things before. Um, is getting aero just for the pro athlete? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so yeah, this,
1: this one, this one gets me every time I do a fit yep. for well nine times out of ten when I do a fit for a, a triathlete or or well, usually a fit because there's more of a focus on comfort. Um, yeah. I reckon people would be pretty disappointed if they came to me and I charged them 480 bucks for a bike fit and that was slower as an yeah. end result. Yeah? Yeah. Like, I think everyone is aware that, or well, hopefully as an end result of my service, they're not uncomfortable yeah. on a TT bike. But a lot of people come in for a time trial fit knowing that comfort is a key thing. Hmm. and nine times out of 10, they'd, they'd be in pretty severe discomfort and they'd know that, that resolving that is a, definitely a key outcome from the service. But I think what you also need to be mindful of, you haven't invested, let's just say $10,000 on a time trial bike and you know however many hours training to go slow. Yeah, you're, you're, you're making this investment because you wanna go as fast as you can with the power you can produce. So mm-hmm. absolutely not being the aero on a bike you know, if if you're a time trialist, that's that's the number one goal yeah. is to be error. Yeah. That doesn't mean that comfort has to come as a cost to be aero, error, yeah. but that is the outcome is being as error as you can be. Yeah. Going as fast as you can for the power you can produce. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: And so in terms of and, and that's probably the, the key takeaway from that is going as fast as you can for the power you can produce. For does that change based on what power you can produce though? In terms of if you've got if you've got someone obviously at the elite end of the spectrum pushing pretty significant power, of course they're going to go fast. Yep. The more air you make them. But if you've got cool. someone who's let's say over the course of an Ironman event only able to hold 180 watts, yep, they're going at 24, 25 k an hour. Yeah, that's. Is are they still going to significantly benefit from getting slightly more aero?
1: Yeah,
0: look, they will. But obviously
1: the not to the same the reward is yep. so much less than someone that's you know riding at you know yep. 300 watts from. It's, they are two, two very different things. But yeah, if you're investing in a time trial bike, and I, I guess that would be that would be your threshold for where you really want to start focusing on those mm-hmm. gains. If you're buying a time trial bike, it's because you're you're wanting to go as fast as you can for yep. for what you've got. Yeah, and that would be the point where yeah, you really want to start investing in position optimization and thinking about being error. If you're riding a road bike and you and you're participating and you're doing the event for fun, yeah. Do you need to spend, you know, fifteen hundred bucks on being arrow and all the accessories yeah. that go with it? Absolutely not. not. Like that's if the goal is participation, just enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy it for what it is and yeah. and don't focus too much on the
0: on the things that cost a lot of money and yeah. and a lot of time. Yeah. You probably then put the emphasis on get yourself into a comfortable position. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, be comfortable, be comfortable, <laughs> be comfortable, and enjoy it. Yeah, it's going to be a long day out there. Right, sure yes. Riding <laughs> yeah. 180 watts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of probably the, the, the back end to that, the conversation about error, and this is maybe where you want to tie in what you do with sync and and the, the ideas behind the high hands position. Yeah, I know what well. a lot of guys probably see on social media is all, all the time. We see this high hands position that yeah. um, you talk about. Where did that come from, and and how does that how does that give a, an athlete? an advantage in terms of comfort aerodynamics? Yep, so I guess where it comes from, um, ultimately that's, that's our
1: experience with aero testing. So for aero testing at Adaptive HP, we use the Alpha Mantis track aero system. Mm-hmm. And basically what that means is we get an athlete to ride around the velodrome, we, we gather a whole lot of data off the bike and we can convert that to a number for their CDA. So when we perform that service, ultimately what we're, what we're doing is we're trying to find the most aero position for the athlete to be in. And in the course of, I guess, from when we started providing that service, well over three years ago now, um, every time we, we do it and every time we test, we, we notice that we get the hands up high and generally we can make someone more aero. The key question is how do you actually make that sustainable? So that's where the idea of Sync really comes from is, is making this position that we know is more aero, making that position sustainable. And, that, and I guess part of that sustainability is comfort as well. Um, ultimately, when we when we talk sustainability, we mean no slip in position. So, if you if you've got this position, obviously, uh, and that's your aero position. Obviously, you want to maintain that for as long as possible. So, every time you slip from that, you know that's mm-hmm. a slip in position. So, and presumably that's not comfortable as well, yeah, because you you're not doing this for for a reason mm. and it's presumably, you lack support and and you physically can't hold that position so it's yeah. not comfortable. Um, so yeah, this is more aero, the high hands position is more aero and thanks to the equipment that we've developed, it's it's also comfortable as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah.
0: so it's a, a, I guess most of the guys that you see, is there anyone who doesn't work for the um, high hand position yeah, or, or is it a pretty sort of standardised, most people are able to, I guess maybe adapt to it or it's a natural fit for yep. the body that, that goes with that high hands position. Yeah, I'm yet to see someone that's less
1: aero as a result of it. I've seen a couple of small athletes that are probably benefit benefiting less from it than, than some of the larger athletes we work with. Um, but yeah, as a generalization it's definitely no less aero and seven times out of ten it's a lot more aero. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's I guess to the point where, you know, you almost don't bother testing it anymore. Mm. It's not even one of those questions where you're like, is this going to be more aero for this athlete? It's, it's yeah, it is yeah. going to be more aero. It's just a question of how much, how much? Aero. Yeah. um, and yeah, it's, it's always more comfortable. So yeah, it's not like it's, oh, we're going to make this person more aero, but they're going to be less comfortable. They're going to be more aero and they're yeah. going to be more comfortable. So it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. Um, you do it. Yeah. Is this something pretty
0: widely known? particularly, and I guess just sort of scrolling through Instagram feeds the other day, having a look at some of the pro athletes, particularly in triathlon, we see quite varied positions in terms of what's going on. Is this something, this high hands position, something that's reasonably sort of, I guess, even kept in a small, tight circle or not many people sort of know about? There was a, I saw a picture of uh, Sebastian Kinlay the other day, dead flat bars. It was really sort of that traditional position, I guess. Is, Is this something that, more and more pros are going towards, or is it something that people just don't know about yet?
1: Uh, definitely more and more pros are going towards having some kind of high hand position, whether it's so, I guess, when we talk high hands position, we classify it as 100 mils of high gain from the center of the arm up to the top of the extensions. So there's definitely a lot of pro athletes that are at that point or higher in, in road cycling, where we're limited by obviously the UCI rules. There's there's a whole heap of variations below that 100 mils. It's, it is something that's becoming a lot more common, um, but then I think you've got a lot of older athletes that obviously come from a more traditional background where where they're not adopting those positions. Um, so yeah, there's a real mix in there, but generally speaking, a lot more people are working towards it because it is a shitload more comfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool, cool. Anything else to add on sync while you're, while you're at? You mentioned before there's a few new sort yeah, of things so that might be coming. Um, so, to help out a few guys who may not be able to access some yeah, of the stuff. Just yeah, one of, our,
1: one of our big problems at the moment is compatibility. Uh, so definitely we're looking at ways that we can rectify some of the issues that we've got at the moment with bikes that we just can't mount our parts to. Yep. Um, ultimately what we've worked on so far is is equipment that, that gets that position. We know that that equipment is not always the best solution. Yep. Um, there's a more aero way that we can do it. And that's also what we're working on with the next release of products. So basically maintaining that same position, maintaining the high hands position, but a more aero way of, of getting there. Yeah, so yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming
0: out um, probably later on this year. I think. Yeah, cool, interesting stuff. You have to keep an eye out. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear all about it when it does does come out. We'll have to share it with everyone uh, to, see, to see what is coming, because again, if it's going to make us even more comfortable, even more aero, but then even more applicable to what different types of bikes. Like I said, potential limitations at the moment. It's obviously opening up to a lot more of us to be able to change our positions based on what equipment we've already current, currently got, um, rather than having to go out and buy, yeah, exactly. buy another yeah. bike. And
1: yeah, the expense of buying a bike just to achieve a certain position is not always yeah. in reach for a lot of people, and yeah. not sure it they be.
0: yeah, yeah cool. Quick, quick question I did want to have. Speaking of different bikes, What's your thoughts on the most aero bike currently? Because um, I, pro- I reckon yeah. a probably lot of people are probably gonna wanna ask, ask you that question in terms of you, you do a lot of aero testing. What bike are you seeing currently that is probably the most aero bike out there that you, you could get? Because yeah, I reckon there's a lot of debate on what there is. I think this is, is probably gonna
1: answer that question in the most roundabout way possible. But in terms of your breakdown of what's contributing to aero drag, right? So when you're, when you're riding above 30 k's an hour, 90% of resistance to forward motion is aerodynamic. So, for anyone that's riding in a time trial event, be it triathlon or something else, your 90% of what you're working against is is drag. Of that, 70% is you on the bike, 30% is the bike. So it's basically the body that's the biggest um, factor in that aerodynamic. So. Yeah, bike's important. It's thirty percent of that equation. But what's more important about the bike is the way that it allows you to mani- manipulate the position or the setup to get the athlete into a better position. Yeah. So for me, it's not a question of what's the most aero bike. That's almost irrelevant. Yeah, because the difference between you know three brands, it might be you know a couple of watts or a handful of watts. That is so insignificant compared to how much how much gain you can get from achieving a much better position on the bike. Mm. So focus less on on, you know, this brand new bike offers me three watts at 500 watts, like, who cares? Just focus on getting the best quality position that you can on the bike, and you'll get so much more gain out of that than than any one single piece of equipment. Trying to pick the fastest bike on the market, yeah. And then often the fastest bike on the market won't have an integrated hydration system or something like that. So for triathlon, where you're out there for, you know, if it's full distance, 180 k's, Mm. you've got to have some kind of integrated hydration system on there that allows you to access fluid, immediately yeah. and you know readily in front of you yeah. like, if you're having to break your air position to grab a bomb, yeah. a bottle they, yeah that's waste yeah that you know three watts that this new frame has saved you has just gone here ten times over yeah so yeah it's more about it's more about the quality of position and it's more about the integration of all of those necessities that like just have to be there yeah yeah um, yeah, look, there's certain brands on the market that, that I think work really well for achieving the best positions. Um, I'm definitely not not one to spruik any one particular brand, but yeah, frame geometry does differ between manufacturers, and I think that's a far more overwhelming concern
0: than than some marketed number of watts yeah, yeah. saved. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's I guess that's definitely aligned with what we talk about a lot is that yeah, your bike's going to get you so far, but I at the end of the day, from your position and our position, whoever's on the bike and what they're doing on the bike, whether that be their physical conditioning, their position is gonna play the biggest significant role than what bike they actually yeah, have underneath 100%. You can put any bike underneath them if they're in a comfortable aerodynamic position and they've got the engine to be able to power it, you're 95 you're 98% percent of the way there, they're yeah. going to get results, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. Something, that, something to think about, because it, it always comes up in terms of oh, what, what bike's the most air and what's the fastest bike out there, it almost doesn't really matter, it's what, what uh, what you put, what you put on, and what you get out of it is the uh, you know, engine. The the yeah. Cool. So I think we'll keep it, we'll keep it there for this episode. i have covered a fair bit already. I'm sure there's plenty of plenty of questions to come out of this, and we may have to do a follow-up episode at some point to cover off some of the questions we do get, because uh, there's there's a whole bunch of things we could talk about with with different case studies and different things to do with uh, components, reposition, position, aerodynamics, etc. But last thing that uh, I want you to leave everyone with is. Where can we follow um, all your stuff to keep up to date with what you're doing here in terms of adaptive, but then also what's to come with RideSync? Yeah, so um,
1: Instagram is obviously the main channel all I use. Yeah, I'm pretty limited with time there yep. so um so at Adaptive HP for adaptive fitting performance and at RideSync for sync ergonomics.
0: Yeah, and anyone who wants to check out or get more information on the bike fitting process for themselves with go through Instagram? Is that the best place to? Yeah, Instagram Instagram or
1: just the the webpage, adaptivehp.com. It has has a bit of information on the services we provide. And yeah, usually, so for any, any one individual, what a bike fit involves is obviously you know, it's a pretty individual specific process, so often it's more a case of sending an email and, and working through what that service would involve for that particular person.
0: Yeah, cool. No, perfect. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you giving up a bit of time to, to have a chat about what you do and, and the importance of the, the bike-fitting side of things in, in endurance sports, cycling, triathlon, etc. So really appreciate it and hopefully everyone enjoyed this episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. Uh, it's a really exciting one this week. so. Give it, a, give it another listen and get in contact with Ken if you've got any questions about bike fitting or anything to do with ride sync. So other than that, we'll see you in the next episode.